Hey, it's Arrow, and this is PodFest, bringing together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, or cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest number 50 features Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Niels Lofgren from the E Street Band. Then we're getting reacquainted with actor-director Alex Winter from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Our third conversation is with actress, author, and musician, very busy here, Alicia Witt. This is PodFest 50. <laughs> Hey, this is Arrow. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Niels Lofgren. Hello, how are you? Doing very well, Niels. How's it feel to be the most famous accordion player of all time? Well, I thought that was Myron Florn. Feels good to play accordion in, in rock and roll. It was a great instrument from 5 to 15. My folks financed classical lessons and led to some great moments uh, playing, uh, you know, with the Ringo Starr Band. Uh, broke out the accordion occasionally with Neil Young. And uh, actually, uh, when we were uh, doing, <clears throat> after the gold rush, I was just 18 years old, my first year on the road with Grin, and got the great call to do the after the gold rush record with Neil Young and he and David Briggs said I would be playing acoustic guitar, singing and playing piano. And when I told them I wasn't a professional pianist, they reminded me of my accordion history and felt because of that, I might be able to come up with some solid, simple parts that would work. And they had more faith in me than I did. So another tip of the hat to the accordion days. Absolutely. You grew up with a classical and a jazz background. How much has that influenced when you sit down with Bruce and, you, and he comes up with that New Jersey kind of a sound and you go, have you ever thought about this? Well, you know, after the waltzes and polkas, when I was five, you move into classical or jazz. And for me, it was mostly classical with a little bit of jazz. But um, I think naturally, I think very melodically and rhythmically. And I found when I uh, picked up the blues and fell in love with the guitar, I always felt like there was a sense of melody in there. And uh, I think that was really obviously encouraged and blossomed a lot at a lot earlier age, thanks to the accordion. And, uh, look, I love Bruce's music. I think more than any virtuoso abilities, except maybe with uh, Roy Bitton, who's just extraordinary, um, we all bring to the table the main main pluses. We understand the music, all have great ideas for it, and, and don't need a lot of direction, which is the kind of band you want to have around, so you're not telling what to, everybody what to play all the time. But, yeah, it served me really well. It allowed me to hit the road 45 years ago at 17, which would have never happened if it wasn't for that uh, musical background. What I've always been inspired by you about is oh. that you, you have always been that performer that you don't need that superstar in front of you to be creative. You've gone out to do things on your own. You've worked, like you said, with Ringo Starr and the All-Star Tour. What, what's so incredible about you is that you don't put fame in front of you. How, how does that happen with somebody, and especially in this 2014 world, everybody wants fame? Well, I don't look at it that way. I, I was a musician, a passionate hobby, playing the blues and rock. And one night when I was uh, 16, I saw Jimi Hendrix Experience and The Who in two different venues the same night. And I got possessed with the notion to be a rock musician, which did happen. And, um, you know, back then the only game in town was to play for people. And I got good at it with my band Grin. I fell in love with performing. And 45 years later, it even means more to me now. Um, so it just turned out to be a blessing. I've been doing my own music with my band Grin and my solo work. I, 20 years ago, I parted ways with record companies, and I have a website, com. I've regularly put out music. I think my last album, Old School, was my best. 
And uh, I just keep trying to get better at what I do. I did find out at a young age, thanks to Neil Young, that if I love the uh, music and the people, it's nice not to always be the band leader because then you're stuck with the, all the lead work and the lead singing. And being in someone else's great band, you get into delve into harmony singing. Uh, right now, I, when Steve came back in the band in 99, I learned a little pedal steel, dobro, lap steel, bottleneck banjo. I'm a little, I'm a beginner at all that, but it's more tools to put in the E Street toolbox. And when I come to my own music, uh, a couple years ago, the first uh, bottleneck dobro song I ever wrote was a birthday gift from my wife, Amy. <clears throat> Months later, it turned into a duet with Willie Nelson and the Lofgren Brothers on my album, Sacred Weapon, which is, of course, part of this 45-year box set retrospective that's coming out on Fantasy. So it's been a great ride, and, and when I work with other bands, it's very exciting and engaging, and when I get back to my own music, uh, I'm kind of refreshed and rejuvenated and excited about my next chapter, but I'm not musically rusty. I'm very sharp because of the liaisons with other bands. What is it about Chicago that creates that sound that seems to influence the rest of the nation? What is that Chicago sound? I don't know. I think it's, you know, basically the famous part of it was the early blues, and uh, just that visceral, powerful, emotional thing. I think Chicago's a great city. I was born there. I lived there for eight years before I moved to D.C. And, uh, you know, I, I remember at the cellar door seeing Muddy Waters, who let me stand in the corner and watch him play cards in the dressing room before two of the most powerful shows I ever saw. And all that stuff just imprinted me. Uh, the spirit is go out and play for people and do something special for them. And, you know, any notoriety that comes from that is, is secondary, but the goal is to share music. And uh, the best place to do that is in front of an audience live. And that still is what I love most about my job. And um, I'm hoping, you know, when we take a break with E Street, I'll get out this summer and do some playing of my own and promote this box set, Face the Music, which is out May 27. Which, surprisingly, 189 track retrospective of 45 years with. 40 bonus tracks no one's ever heard, and uh, very excited about it and grateful the company let me handpick every track. I personally signed and autographed every one of the first limited number of releases, so couldn't be prouder of it and more excited about a, a project, getting back with Fantasy Records after 20 years and doing something that's uh, very comprehensive of my entire career. See, that's what I like about modern-day technology, like with iHeartRadio, is that when I type in your name, I get to I get to experience you. And now that you're putting out this collection of music, now we really get to see the artists that you are. How much of you has influenced people like Tom Morello coming into the band? Have you sat down with him and said, "Hey, hey good, but this is yeah, Well, Tom's a great guitarist and um uh, we we've been standing next to each other for months now playing and uh you know, regularly I'll sit down and say, hey, what the hell were you doing there? And, uh, you know, once in a while he'll actually ask me what I was doing. Most of it is just doing homework, trying to do what, what I went through when I joined the band with only four weeks' notice. Just uh, tips on helping Tom navigate coming to the band. And there's no time to get on top of 100 songs, let alone 300. So uh, it's fun to have somebody that just kind of discovers how cool it is to play inside the band with Bruce and, and all that talent. And uh, Tom's doing a great job with his subbing for um, Steve. And uh, in Australia, we were all there together. So we had four heavy metal rock guitarists going at once. It was pretty uh, extraordinary. Coming from Chicago, are you a Cubs fan or are you a White Sox? You know what? Way back when I was a kid, I was a White Sox fan. My dad used to take me uh, down to the ball games. And uh, I left when I was eight. So I'm more of an NBA, NFL fan, but still, root, I, especially in the Jordan days. 
I rooted for uh, the Bulls, but um, I was a Washington Bullets fan when I grew up and actually wrote a song, Bullets Fever, their championship season, uh, that's on the box set, too. Basketball song honoring the Bullets. Lived in L.A. a long time in the heyday when Magic was playing and Pat Riley was coaching, so I've been all over the place, but sports remains a, a true love of mine. I used to play ball all the time, constantly, and that's really the main reason I destroyed both hips, turned, uh, got rid of all the cartilage. They were bone-on-bone bone for years, and five years ago I had to replace both of them thanks to basketball. With the body taking such of a beating, though, your memory of, of all these concert halls, what is the one thing, especially when you come back to Charlotte, because you guys have been here so many times, is there something that you hold on to in every arena? You know what? It's mainly the audience. Sometimes I'm so delirious, and I'm so busy learning the new songs at night or trying to outguess Bruce as we do an improv show and we've never done the same show twice and people know that so I'm so engaged by that that you know my goal is we're going to be great if if everyone walked out we're going to play and there were three people left we'd be great but having a great crowd and I, Charlotte's you know sometimes my family or brothers will come down from the D.C. Maryland area but we've always had great crowds there and it's a little off the you know big city path which I like and uh, the band's in great shape. I think we're going to do a great show there for you. And the improvs that you've been doing, final question, with all the cover songs, as a fan, it is so fascinating to see you guys doing Van Halen and Shout. How does it feel as the musician on your side of the fence? It's fun. Um, in Australia, Friday on My Mind, which is one of the most difficult guitar pieces, we had to relearn that. I think I learned it when I was 17 and forgot it, maybe 16. And uh, back in 79, I opened for The Who on a six-week European tour with the Stranglers and ACDC when Bon Scott was alive. But doing Highway to Hell is a big treat because that's my favorite ACDC song. And it's all fun stuff when you got a guy like Bruce singing and leading you, and uh, especially some of those heavier songs with Tom Morello playing with us. Uh, walking out front with uh, Steve Van Zandt, Bruce, me, and Tom, and doing the opening of Highway to Hell is quite a treat. Nils Lofgren, thank you so much for everything that you have brought to music and will continue to invite for all fans. Hopefully I'll keep at it. Thank you so much for spreading the word and good to talk to you. I pound my nails Love my wife and kids My gifts are not As grand as yours Still this and every song you sing Heals our troubled hearts we miss you, Ray. I miss you, Ray. Your Billy, Louie, Nat, Frank, and Ray. I miss your dad, your gentle spirit way. Still, life is grand. I owe so much to you. I miss you all. I miss you, Ray. I miss you all. I miss you, Ray. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
documentary Zappa explores the private life behind the mammoth music career that never shifted away from the political turbulence of its time. Alex's assembly of moving pictures and stories features Frank's widow Gail and several of his musical collaborators, such as Mike Kennelly, Ian Underwood, Steve Vai, and more. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Alex Winter. I'm doing well. How are you? Man, this is like Christmas Day because, I mean, just to get the opportunity to share a conversation with you because you've always been there for the fans and I can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You've been working on a project that is absolutely unbelievable. You are doing something that is going to take the mystery out of who Frank Zappa really was and will continue to always be. Yeah, that was the idea. I I always found his life, not only his art, which I'm a fan of, but I found his life incredibly fascinating. And he seemed like a great subject for a doc and no one had ever really done one, not a comprehensive life story. So that was what we set out to do. And uh, it's been a ton of work. We've been working on it for six years. So I'm happy it's finally coming out. Wow. Six years. Did, Did they allow you inside the actual archives? Because they've always been very protective of that. Yeah, Gail gave me full access, which uh, was the first, I suppose, and that set us on a mission. We spent about two years just preserving a lot of the media down there, and that was a lot of work. Um, We raised money on a crowdfunding campaign and used that money to preserve the endangered material that was down in that vault, and then we set about making the film. That right there had to be one of the biggest signals to your heart, because when people start investing in your plan and your ideas, I mean, we really would like to know how this man continues to be a major part of our lives. Agreed. And I think in this culture, frankly, he was so in some ways ahead beyond outside his times, however you want to put it. And uh, I think that he's really a man for the the present moment in many ways. Um, So it, it felt like a good time to get a story out about him. He was an artist who had a lot of dexterity and variety. Um, And we live in a culture, I think, that's a bit more understood. But he was also very politically active and very much about citizens' rights and anti-censorship. And uh, I also think it's a good time for those ideas. Let's talk about Frank being that artist, because when I was buying his albums as a teenager, I always thought of Frank Zappa as being just Frank Zappa. It wasn't until I became an adult that I realized, holy crap, this guy is a true artist. Uh, well, I can tell you that that was my experience as well. I, I came up, you know, I'm old enough to have come up in the 70s. I remember seeing him on SNL, uh, both of his SNL appearances and thinking he was really cool and really funny and his music was great. But his the the, the scope of his artistry, I did not um, didn't really hit me until I was uh, in my 20s. And then it's just it's a very deep journey that just grows and grows because he was extremely prolific as an artist. Uh, But once you get Zappa, it's a fun road to be on. Some people never get it and some people get it late. His empowerment on other artists, other writers and producers and even even actors, his empowerment on other people is still mind blowing to me. Yeah, he had a huge influence on on artists in an incredibly broad spectrum from rock musicians, classical musicians, jazz musicians, and then filmmakers and writers and and you name it, um, actors. When as soon as I threw my hat in the ring to do this, people were coming out of the woodwork that I had no idea were lifelong Zappa, Zappa devotees just to tell me how much his work had meant to them and how inspiring it had been for them. Um, so I, I found that really gratifying. Did you get to be with any of the instruments? And the reason why I bring that up is because those instruments were an extension to his imagination. Yes, I did, luckily, because I was uh, doing a lot of the archival preservation work and I began to film Gail and hang around the Zappa house uh, back at the beginning of 2015. So uh, they they subsequently sold that house and uh, 
and are not there anymore. But uh, they, a lot of it had just been left the way Zappa left it. So his, his the UMRK, the, the recording studio in the house was was pretty much the same. His rehearsal st- uh, studio was the same. And there was beautiful instruments down there. His piano, they had a whole extra octave on it, quite famous piano that he had was down there and all kinds of musical instruments that were pretty extraordinary to 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 get up close with. Everybody knows I'm a weird guy and everybody knows that I believe in ghosts. When you walk into that room, was Frank Zappa's ghost there? Because I just truly believe that the man's spirit has has turned into your calling. The spirit of Zappa was absolutely in the house and we really felt it while we were cutting. Um, it was, we were in so much of his personal media, um, really intimate. So, you know, stuff from all the way back from his mom and dad's wedding films, everything, uh, photographs, flat art, things that he painted and, and even physical things that he sculpted and made everything. We had access to everything. So you really end up immersed in, in someone's life and you, you certainly do feel their, their energy around you as you're working. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a very moving experience in that way to be physically in the presence of his writing. I'm one of those guys who has to feel the depth of that pen meeting paper. What was that like for you? Yeah, he, and he happened to be, I mean, I discovered a lot of things about him. I didn't know. Um, one of those was that he was an extraordinarily talented artist, uh, draftsman and painter. And even his penmanship was really beautiful. Uh, it, it's not so surprising when you think about it, because he did start, uh, writing um, orchestral uh, scores when he was very, very young. And and those are exquisite um, to look at. And they're all hand and done. So um, that work is really beautiful. That's why we used it in the film. We get into his the period that where he... Um, in his in his twenties, when he was briefly working for a greeting card company, and he was actually painting and drawing and penning the cards himself. So, I mean, he really could have had a, a career doing that just fine. He's very good at it, um, and he's very witty. So you can imagine the kind of greeting cards he made. They were they were very sharp. Um, so yeah, all of that was really really fun to work to work in. But he also was he started out as an artist making films um, when he was very young, early teen early teens, and he would shoot eight mil and super eight, and he would cut that stuff himself, and he'd recut it and he'd draw on it and do very Zappa like things to the film. So that was also fun to to play around in. Being that close to everything, man, did you giggle like a child? I mean, come on, you're a creative man with a creative heart. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did every day for years. <laughs> now, you can't let this Zappa project be your last documentary, man. You've opened up a brand new door for we people who love music. What's next for you? Well, I have a lot going on. Um, I mean, this has been a very busy year uh, for me and my company just making. Um, we've had three movies come out this year and releasing movies into a pan- pandemic is very complicated. So we put out Showbiz Kids, the doc on children and show business on HBO and Bill and Ted three is out now and that we've released that into a pandemic and that's been doing very well, which we're very grateful for. Um, and now Zappa, which is a titanic <laughs> undertaking. So we've been pretty busy with distribution. Um, we're developing the movies we're going to shoot, the docs we're going to work on next year. Um, and we're just getting those kind of in the pipeline and ready to go. But all of our energy has been focused on getting these films out right. I got to tell you what, dude, I, I, di- I did a movie promotion and, and I was right there and I saw Bill and Ted, the third installment, uh, right there in that theater. And that was my first movie since COVID started. And man, and then to be talking with you today. Oh, 
Well, thanks. Likewise. I really appreciate being on and I'm, I'm uh, you know, grateful that we got this stuff out there in this crazy, crazy time. Seriously, dude, I'm just so glad that you are pushing through this storm and you are not saying no to creativity. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You be brilliant. Okay, dude. Everyone be safe out there. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Alicia Witt. I am great. That's, great. That's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Before we even get started, I got to ask you, with everything that you do, the creativity that comes from you, is there a storyteller inside of you that is finding every one of these stages? Because it just seems like your storytelling is just amazing. That is the biggest compliment. Thank you. I... I love telling stories and I love connecting to other human beings. So I feel like there's a way that I can do both of those things in a song that I haven't quite tapped into when it comes to just having an ordinary conversation with somebody. When you're creating with the, the music and stuff like that on, on that beautiful piano, do you find yourself kind of like in a Twitter generation in the way that the words have got to fit the melody and, and, and it's got the rhythm and the rhyme and all that kind of stuff? Because, I mean, you're also a book writer. I mean, so I always wonder what happens between the two personalities. Oh, you know, yeah, there's, I think that the, the craft of each of those is so different but they're both about communicating and connecting there's a magic though about knowing i have this idea and i need to say it in three and a half to four minutes and hopefully arrange it in such a way with a melody that is going to stick into people's heads to where the story that i'm trying to tell will resonate there's something about sneaking a story into a a little capsule like that that people can then put into their their ear pods and listen to while they're working out and you can get that story that might mean something too much so much to you and put it into their own head so that it then feels like it's about something they've experienced. Yeah, because look at what you do with the song Talk to You. It almost feels like that you've knocked on my front door and said, hey, I'm coming in. Let's have a conversation. And that's what I love about the elegance of the song. Oh, thank you, Arrow. That's incredible. That's everything I would hope for that song to be. And it's exactly how I felt when I was inspired to write that song. Just longing to sit down with one particular person and talk until the sun comes up. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we do in Montana. I mean, are are you, you I mean, where, where did that come from inside of you to be that, to be that storyteller and sharer? Oh, I don't know. I think I have always loved telling stories. I can remember being five and six and just making up stories and either writing them in my childish longhand or when I learned how to type yes that was a real gift to me because I I learned how to type at such a formative age that I was soon able to type at the speed of my thoughts so even today I I, when I get a really uh, vivid idea for a song or for a script or story I turn to my keyboard and 
even on the phone, I can type at lightning speed with my thumbs. <laughs> so I just want to get that idea down before I lose it. And then I can always edit it later. Don't you love it, though, when when that idea hits you? And because it's like there's nothing else going on in the world except for that moment of, of music or, or a story moving through you. I those moments are so treasured and the only lesson for me the biggest lesson for me over the years is not to let them pass when something is knocking at my door (laughs) theoretically i need to just get that down and not not move on to something else until at least i've gotten the bones of it jotted Uh, otherwise even two hours later i have so much else going on (laughs) most days i have no idea what that concept was (laughs) <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, the video of Chasing Shadows, you with that piano, I honestly had visions of John Lennon playing Imagine. <gasps> wow. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> I, 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 have, I, I can't possibly have any perception of any of these things, so just hearing from someone on the outside having watched it and to think it would evoke such uh, such a powerful song in any way that's just the biggest honor so how do you handle the the interpretation of the music when when your music becomes a part of a tv show or a movie because it's like you know you're you're in this mindset when you're creating it and now it's on a tv show being used in a different form how do you get used to that that's something that I did actually for the very first time for last year's Christmas movie. And I enjoyed the challenge of it because the key is to make, hopefully to make that song feel just as real and just as personal, even though it is, as you said, being crafted specifically for a moment in a movie. Um, and I welcome that. I mean, it's not that different writing in that way to playing a character who isn't yourself and has a whole different history than yours. But when you're playing that character, you believe it fully. You have to. So that's there's no reason why a song can't do that as well. Um, in the in a similar way, some of these songs that I write are inspired by a moment I've felt, but I might never realistically be able to tell the person who inspired the song because perhaps the relationship wasn't as profound as what it sounds like in the song. I'm just kind of going down an imaginary route with it. Wow. And exploring some feelings that I could have had for this person, but <laughs> maybe it's more of a universal feeling or something like that. Yeah. You've got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. I love talking with you, and thank you for these incredibly um, insightful questions. I, I really appreciate it. You bet. You'd be brilliant today, okay? Thank you. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs>